Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. We're going to finish our Change of Heart series today. And I told you guys last week, the, the goal that I have behind this Change of Heart series really is to posture us more appropriately to worship God completely. But that's what I believe the invitation this year for this church is. It's always the invitation of all followers of Jesus is to worship Jesus. But I think this year that we have a special invitation from the Lord to worship God more fully with more of who we are. And so this idea behind change of heart is that a lot of times the things that keep us from worshiping are wrong heart postures. Would you agree? That a lot of times, like we talked about last week, that we tend to be critical of other people and we judge other people and it keeps us from worshiping God the way that we're intended to worship God. And so we're going to finish that this week, but I want to ask you guys a question. This is a fun question to ask. How many of you guys, show of hands, would say you're greedy? Way more hands than I thought. That spoils the whole rest of the thing. New series. series. (laughs) Moving right along. So so, so a number of us have kind of become aware of, uh, of greedy, but... For the rest of us, how would we know we were greedy? Like, if you thought about it, how would you know that you were greedy? If you became aware of being greedy, how would you know how to change it? Like, what what mechanism do you have to determine whether or not you're greedy and if you're becoming less and less greedy? Like, if you think about it from like a, a continuum, right? You guys know what a continuum is? This end is greedy. This end is generous. And somewhere on this continuum is you. How would you know how to accurately put yourself on that continuum? How, would, you, would you just sort of think, well, I kind of would just know if I was greedy, right? Some of us, well, I just think I would know I was greedy. Or, or would you expect that your friends would tell you that you were greedy? How would you know? And once you accurately figured out, okay, this is where I am, I'm kind of in between, how would you know how to take steps to become generous? Would you want to become generous? There's this story, uh, two fish, young fish were swimming along uh, in the ocean together, and an older fish came and swam up to them and said, hey boys, how's the water? And the two fish looked at each other and swam on, and after a little while, they look, the one looked at the other and said, what the heck is water? And the reason a fish doesn't know what water is is because it's the environment that it swims in. And I want to submit to you today that the culture we lived in and live in currently is so soaked in greed, I don't think we can get a good picture as to where we stand, whether we're generous or greedy. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. I'm going to talk about money and all the air leaves the room. Everybody's like, oh. But I will say this. I'm not going to talk about money and then ask you to give money. Okay? We're not going to, like, pass the baskets or anything like that. So you can, like, okay, you can breathe. Keep, you know, in, out. It works well. Um, But I want to talk about this idea of generosity and how we would know whether or not we were living a life of generosity. 
And so I'm, I'm going to continue and close this series out uh, with a message that I'm calling Living a Generous Life. Uh, so would you pray with me, and then uh, we're going to turn to Scripture. And so, Lord, I do just invite you to come and have your way. And God, everybody gets nervous when we talk about money, and yet, Lord, you're so uh, concerned with how we use money and what it is that we do with it and what it does to our hearts. And so, God, I pray that you would put truth in my words, that your truth would saturate what I say. God, I pray that you would give us grace to see and hear your heart. And, Lord, that we would be able to be people who are open-handed in the world. Would you put power on this message in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. So we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. How many of you in the last year, while you're turning there, have read any part of 2 Corinthians? All right. All right. A few. Uh, 2 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians. And as you're getting there, let me give you just a little bit of context. So Paul has, has, has been traveling about uh, the known world, planting churches all over the place, and persecution has now come by this time on the Jerusalem church. And so the, the Christians in Jerusalem have found it harder and harder to live. Uh, they, they, there's less opportunity, less ability to, to make money. And so Paul believes that the Lord has invited him to travel around, around the churches that he's planted and ask them to give financially to give money to support the Jerusalem Christians. And so he goes to, to the Corinthian church, which if you've read 1 Corinthians, is a very special church. It looks a lot like American churches. Um, there's all kinds of problems and all kinds of excitements and all kinds of things going on. And he goes to the, this church and he says, would you consider giving generously to support your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem? And the, the Christians in Corinth say, absolutely, we would love to do it. They respond, they give in the moment, and they promise to give later this extremely exorbitant amount of money. So Paul takes that, that story and travels around all these other churches, and he says, the Corinthian Christians have, have taken this cause up, and they are going to give very generously. And as you might imagine, after he tells that story six or seven times, he starts to go, I think, I hope, I really hope they're going to come through because if they don't come through, I'm going to look really, really stupid. And so he writes this letter, and, and there's all kinds of ideas as to whether 2 Corinthians is one letter or two letters or three letters put together. But we get to chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, and he's actually trying to like prep them for this offering. And I want you to, to read this along with me. You don't have to read it out loud. I'll read it to you. But chapter 9, it begins like this. It says, there's no need for me to write to you about the service to the Lord's people. He's talking about the giving. They've already said, we're glad to give. Verse 2, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, as you would, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary 
to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. I want to pause there for a minute. And I want to just point something out to you. A generous life is more than just emotion. Paul says here, look, I'm going to read verse 5 to you again. Paul says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. As it seems in the story, these folks got super excited. They said, oh, we'd be glad to help. And there was an emotional reaction, right? We'll give all kinds of money to help the Jerusalem Christians. Oh, praise be to God. We're going to help them out. This is going to be amazing. And then the emotions subside, and Paul says, no, 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 there's planning involved in living a generous lifestyle. There's planning involved in living a generous life. So many of us have probably seen these, these instances where, where emotions get high, right? You ever, like, you know, about 7, 8 o'clock at night, you're watching the commercials, and they, the one comes with the Sarah McLaughlin song, and the animals that look very bad. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like, this puppy is outside in Altoona, and it's minus six degrees. You should give money now, right? Have you seen this one? Here's our phone number. Go here and give us money now. And what's happening is, there's this like emotional appeal, right? Like, oh man, my heart is so stirred, I'm going to give to take care of the puppies, Right? But you've seen this other places, right? Like, people are hurting in Haiti, and we need to give money right now because this has happened and that has happened. Here's pictures of them in the, in the rubble. Give now. Here's our phone number, right? Go to our website and give now. And there's this stirring to be generous now. But how many of you know inspiration to give generously wanes? Does it not? If you have to be inspired every time you're going to give generously, what you'll find is there are peaks of generosity in your life, right? I'm inspired here, I wrote a really big check. I'm inspired there, I wrote a really big check. But then there's these valleys where we're not very generous, and yet Jesus invites us to be generous people, to live whole lives of generosity, and the fact of the matter is, it requires planning. Planning is not opposed to the move of the Spirit. I think we think that a lot of times, right? Especially in more charismatic expressions, right? We're just like, if I have a really emotional high, the Spirit of God must be moving. But if I'm actually making plans, that's all me. The Spirit of God is not opposed to planning. In fact, often our plans are Spirit-inspired if we're seeking the Lord. So a life, a generous lifestyle requires planning. But Paul, he continues, I'm going to read verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What he's saying is a lifestyle of generosity does not come from emotional response. Let me illustrate this. I'm going to tell you a story, uh, but using time as an example, right? Like everybody's a little nervous about money, but nobody has enough time, right? 
Think about the last time you had a friend ask you to move, to help them move, and, uh, you know, they, they give you this sob story, I've got to be out of my apartment by Saturday, and you've got this laundry list of things to do, right? And all these things I have to get done by Saturday, but they tell you, I don't have anyone else to help me, and you're the last hope that I have, and they're going to kick me out and take all my stuff. And so you decide, as an emotional response, to help them. You guys had this experience? Maybe it's not moving, but it's something else you've been sort of like imposed upon. And whenever you get there and things don't work out smoothly, you ever show up and they haven't even packed the boxes? Have you been there? And everybody kind of goes to the corner and goes, did you see? They haven't packed anything. And everybody grumbles, right? And everybody complains, and I always thought I'd be out of here by noon, and it's two in the afternoon, and you're imposing on my time. And it gets to the end of the day, and you haven't gotten all the stuff done that you plan to get done, right? How generous do you feel about your time when you made your emotional response? Contrast that with this idea. We've been asking for weeks now for people to help volunteer for Parents Night Out right? You guys have heard that. If you haven't heard that, we're looking for volunteers for Parents' Night Out. Abby is sitting in the front row. Talk to her. So you go home and you, you say, you know, they're really looking for volunteers for Parents' Night Out. They told me it's going to show up at 4.30. It'll be over at 9, so it's four and a half hours. God, is this something you want me to participate in? How would, how would you have me help? And, and you make a decision in your heart with the Lord, that you're going to volunteer for Parents' Night Out. And so you put it in your calendar, and next week you show up and you say, Hey, Abby, I'd love to help. I'll be there at 4.30. It'll be great. You show up at 4.30 because your calendar's blocked off, and you're excited to do what the Lord has invited you to do. And at 9 o'clock, you're a little bit tired, but you go home. How generous do you feel about your time? a lot more generous because nobody imposed on it. You made a decision to do it. Do you see the difference? When you have decided with the Lord and made a plan, you actually can live generously. And Paul actually contrasts generosity with feeling compelled or compulsion. That there's something different. There's something about generosity that is opposed to being uh, begrudgingly. Or as you could translate it, as uh, greedy. That if you make a plan, you can be generous and live a generous lifestyle. But a lot of times we don't make a plan, right? Same is true with all the, all the things with giving money. Because here's the thing, God is really concerned about your heart. You know, I could stand up here and tell you about all the amazing things that we're trying to do in the community and you know, really tug on your heartstrings about the kids and the way we're serving kids. And we're really trying to do these things, right? And at the very end, put a big QR code up on the screen and say, now give generously. And some of you would probably feel compelled to give and like, well, I should give. And then you'd go home and be like, man, I really kind of needed that money for rent. I needed that money for my mortgage. The gas bill's going to be through the roof. How generous do you feel when I imposed on your money? 
probably not very generous. God is concerned about the heart posture. I would rather you be generous out of a, a, a partnership with God rather than me convince you to support this church. I don't want to try to do that. I don't want to try to talk you out of your money because guess what? At the end of the day, you're going to leave here and maybe you did give, but you'll be very irritated about it. You ever felt manipulated into giving money? It's a really bad feeling, isn't it? Does it not reflect on who Jesus is in your heart? I don't ever want that to be the case. I don't think that's God's desire either. You know, for most of us, what we need is a plan. Jerry and I, t years ago, and she always looks at me a little bit sideways whenever I go to tell this story. Thanks. <laughs> Early on in our marriage, we realized we weren't giving. We weren't giving to the church, and we, we sat down. I think it was in Terre Haute when we did this. Uh, and we sat down, and we said, you know, we have come under conviction of the Lord that, like, if you read through the Bible, it's fairly clear that the base level for God's people is to give 10% to God. And so we recognized, like, we weren't giving anything. Like, and we had good reasons, right? We all have good reasons why we're not giving, right? So we, uh, but we came under this conviction and we said, we need to begin there. And so we just took our budget and the first line item is God. We said 10%, before we pay taxes, before we contribute to our retirement, before we're generous to anything else, we said the first 10% is going to go to what God is doing in the world We're gonna, through the local church. And so we set it up, we automated it, we made a decision with the Lord, and we've automated it ever since. And that's still what we do. We got here, and one of the first things we tried to do was set it up so we could automate it, so that it would automatically come out. And that I have never once had regret for giving to what God is doing through the local church because we made a plan and that's what we've done. For a lot of us, we just need a plan, right? And some of us, I know how this works, right? Especially college students and all this. This is how this works. It's like, well, you know, I don't have a lot right now. So this idea of like giving and, you know, I, I don't have a lot to give. Listen, it's not even about the money. It's about what giving in, does inside your heart. It's about the, the reflection of what it is that we're doing when we give. When you say, yes, I'm going to give faithfully first, there's something that's happening in your heart, right? There's something that we're saying about who God is. There's a worshiping of God that happens. I don't know if we think about giving like that, but it's part of worship. We're saying... I, I trust you, Jesus, with what you've given me, you know, but we're like, well, you know, maybe once I get a little more, I'll be generous, right? Anybody feel that way? Like, yeah, I know, but when I, I'll make a little bit more money in the fall, and then we'll, then we'll do it. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, said this. He said, whatever I need to give, God inevitably first calls me to give it when I don't have any of it, whether it's money Love, hospitality, or information, whatever God wants to give through us, he first has to do to us. We are the first partakers of the fruit, but we are not to eat the seed, we are to sow it, to give it away. The one who is given, uh, is, who, who is faithful with little, is given more. If you're faithful with little, God will entrust you with more. It's true because the second thing I want, uh, we're going to look at verse 6. Generosity results in increased resources. 
Verse 6 says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Just let me pause there for just a second. Any of the rest of you sort of like read that and you go, this feels like prosperity teaching. This is the Bible though, right? I mean, I got a new one. Those of you who were here at the ice storm when I couldn't read my old one. It's bigger print. It's bigger print. Thank you. My eyes are getting older. But this is actually the Bible. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and you will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You know, there's something really interesting happening here. And if you're familiar at all with this false thing called the prosperity gospel, these verses make you a little nervous, don't they? You're like, it sounds like what you're saying is, if I give to what God is doing, he's going to give me more. He's going to bless me more, right? It sounds like what I'm saying. And that's because that's what the book is saying. That's what the book is saying. It says, if you're faithful in giving to what God is doing, he will give you more. But here's where we have to make a distinction, right? We have to be real careful because prosperity teaching says it's like a vending machine. You put your money in, he gives you out the bigger thing, and now that's yours, right? If you just, you know, I really want a Bentley. I don't got Bentley money. I got Corolla money. But if I put my Corolla money in, I get Bentley money back, right? This is the prosperity teaching. That's not how the Bible talks about it, though. The Bible says you give to the things God is doing, and he will give you more back. For what purpose? For what purpose? Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The way it works is that we give generously to what God is doing. And he finds in us a willing partner in the kingdom. And so he says, well, this one will distribute my stuff the way I intend. Let me give him more. And the expectation is that when he gives you more, that you'll distribute even more the way he intends. And there's this cycle that happens. He'll always take care of what you need, but his expectation is that you broadly scatter. He's always going to take care of you. He gives you more, not for you. It's for everyone else. It's for all the things. I mean, think about it for a minute. If you're God, I mean, none of us are, right? Here's God with all the wealth and all the resources. He's over here. He's looking over there to the people. He's like, how do I get these resources in there in a kingdom way? And he looks for the person who's willing to distribute them that way. And he says, you will here. And then he watches, and he waits, and you distribute them the way he intends. He goes, that's amazing. Here's some more. Here's some more. Here's some more. Have you ever noticed the most generous people keep getting more? I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that. 
It is a thing that happens. And it's all over Scripture. To the one who has, more will be given. Why? Because they give it away appropriately. Are we having fun yet? Everybody's like nervous. You just, you can exhale. I promise you can keep breathing. But can you imagine what it would look like if every time there was a need, you were able to be generous for it? Can you imagine what that would look like? Every time there was a need, we didn't even have to ask you just for like, hey, I noticed there was this need. Here's, here's the money for it. And I know a lot of you are generous people. And so this is not me going, hey, let me whip you into shape. This is like, I know you guys are generous people. But can you imagine if we were even, we just took care of like the things people needed. Can you imagine what it would look like? I don't know if you've ever paid attention to what happens in Scripture. There's this weird idea that somehow by us being generous to other people that the world gets transformed. I think that's what God is doing. Can you imagine if you were somebody that was always able to be generous? Always. Where you didn't have to go, well, we're going we're gonna to give this money to this school for this thing. And you're like, well, I can't really help that one. I don't have it. don't have enough. But if we were people who were constantly so generous that we could always take care of things, I think that we can be those people. Last thing I want to point out. Let me read the rest of this. Chapter 9. Verse 12 says this. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Verse 13, I want to key on, and we're going to finish this way. Verse 13, I'm going to read it again. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Generosity is a confirmation of your faith. Let me, make, let me show you why that is. Paul says that the combination of your confession of the gospel of Christ and your obedience and generosity will result in people praising God. There's this tie between your confession of faith and your generosity, that the two are inextricably linked. And here's what what Paul says. When Paul is talking about the gospel of Christ, what he's saying is, we believe Jesus has come, that he has brought the kingdom of God here, that the kingdom of God has invaded this place, that Jesus is its rightful king, and that this kingdom has all abundance, all resource, limitless resource. And the invitation that Jesus puts to us is to become kingdom people, people who follow him, who belong to the kingdom. And what Paul says is, if you claim to belong to a kingdom of limitless resource, and yet you're greedy with your money, your actions undermine your confession. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus in the kingdom of God where resources are limitless, and you act as though there are limited resources, you're denying your confession with your actions. That's, what, that's the whole tie here. 
And this is what it means to make the confession of our faith and our obedience in generosity match. See, here's the thing. It's not enough to just talk about the kingdom of God coming, right? It's not enough to just say, I believe this stuff. We actually have to put it into practice. You know, the stuff that Jesus did, you know, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read the stuff Jesus did, all the miracles and all the things that he did, he didn't do those to prove that he was God. He did those things to demonstrate what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what he was doing. And so he walks around and he says, the kingdom of God has come near you. Now I'm going to feed 5,000 people. Those two things go hand in hand. Why? Because what he's saying is the kingdom of God that has limitless resource has come near, and so I'll feed everybody. The kingdom of God is at hand, and now I'm going to heal a deaf person or a blind person. Why? Because there's limitless healing in the kingdom of God, and we can't just say it. We demonstrate the reality of it by, by healing someone's sight. He says the kingdom of God is at hand, and then he casts a demon out of the, uh, as someone who's demonized. Why? Because the kingdom of God displaces all of the kingdom of the enemy. Do you see this? The kingdom of God has come, and dead people become alive again. Why? Because we don't just talk about the kingdom. We don't just talk about being followers of Jesus. We demonstrate it. Everything about this thing of following Jesus is show and tell, proclamation and demonstration. If we just talk about it, but we're not going to be about it, we might as well just quit. This whole thing is tied together. We talk about the kingdom of God coming, and we give generously because the two things are tied together. And we're not people who deny the reality of what it is that we believe. If we say that we believe that Jesus Christ has the power to save people, but we never open our mouths to talk about Jesus to anyone, our actions undermine our confession. Do you see this? The generosity is actually part and parcel of what it is to proclaim the kingdom of God has come. It's part of what it is to be a saved person. We can't hope to see people just come to faith by talk, right? Have we not tried to do that for decades now? Talk people into the kingdom? Talk them into the kingdom? Convince them about how bad they are and how badly they need a savior? All that stuff is true. The church is growing the most. The church of Jesus Christ, not the vineyard, not the... American church, the church as a whole is growing the most in places where people talk about the kingdom coming and they demonstrate its reality. That's in generosity, that's in healing, that's in the miraculous, that's in all these things. We have to be people who proclaim that there's a kingdom of limitless resource and then back it up with radical generosity. Everybody's like, don't talk about money again, okay? Here's the thing. As we take steps towards this life of generosity, what I can promise is that we will more fully and authentically worship Jesus. Because here's the thing. Wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And I think we live in a culture that treasures money and goods and wealth. And that's where our hearts go. 
And it's really hard to worship Jesus like this, is it not? We have to worship Jesus like this. I was watching one preacher who said, if you go like this, you don't lose anything, but you also don't get anything. This is the posture we take before the Lord, right? That's how we always close our services, right? This is the posture we want to be in. We're open to, to receiving. We're also open to giving. That's who we are. It's one thing to worship with our mouths. It's quite another to worship with our wallets. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.